Science of Litigation Psychology podcast, brought to you by Courtroom Sciences, Dr. Steve Wood. Joining me, first time I've seen his ugly mug, I think since College World Series, is Dr. Yeah. Maskey. Yeah, how you doing, Steve? Good, staying busy, as I know you are, too. It's been, it's been a crazy summer. No, really no um, downtime. Um, let's just make this clear. Uh, this episode is the 2003 college football kickoff special. 2003 and, huh yeah or is it well it's 2004 well i guess depends it depends on how you 2023 2023 okay yeah i'll give you a pass since how you told me when you first started your brain's fried so well yeah i got home at midnight um i was at the uh tennessee trucking association yesterday and that was in chattanooga go home at midnight up at six you know how that goes yeah. um yeah, it sometimes I feel like it's too, sometimes I wish it was 2023, Steve. But now, 20 years later, here we go. Um, and uh, we're we're gonna give our we're gonna give our college football playoffs playoff picks. Um, at the end of this, we uh went to MGM Vegas and saw the current odds. I sent those to you. Yep. Um, I uh, two of my picks are no surprise. I think two other ones are gonna be very surprising. Um. So I'm anxious to hear your picks. We're going to save that to the end. Absolutely, got, absolutely going to save that to the end. And what we're going to talk about today is a little uh, operant conditioning. Uh, we um, we just published two back-to-back papers on this topic in uh, on Law 360, and uh, really good scientific stuff to share with you, both on how you know you can use operant conditioning to get your witnesses ready for uh, testimony but also how your adversary can use it to really mess with your, with your witnesses. So I think it's going to be a very uh, intriguing uh, podcast, but I, can I just go right into my, my rant? Yeah. Why not? Cause I, cause I want to, cause you've got to go through this. So um, the, the big controversy and constant argument in the Kanaski uh, household is over this dishwasher. Okay. So let me set this up. So you know, my son's 22, my younger son's 15, um, you know, uh, yeah, I'm here, and 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 my wife is this constantly, and she's going to overhear this, by the way, and probably jump in on this. My wife is constantly bitching and moaning at, uh, at us about the about the dishwasher and people not putting their dishes in the dishwasher. Now, my son, my sons are, are both pigs. Uh, we, we 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 all realize this, and they just throw their dishes in the sink. Usually, don't even wash them off. Now, see, that's that is problem number one. If you're going to put your dishes in the dishwasher, you had better wash them off and i'm dying to hear how you deal with this with your kids but then you know no one's putting dishes in the dishwasher okay now here's the here's here's the problem even when you put the dishes in the dishwasher she does nothing but complain about how we put them in the dishwasher like we put them the honey i know you're right here and you can hear this whole thing can't win kim can't win i can't win so even when i load the dishwasher then i get yelled at saying uh, yes, I do get yelled at, and 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 she's yelling at me right now about yeah. this podcast. So so I'm getting yelled at about the manner in which I'm filling the dishwasher because apparently there's some system. Okay, and by the way, the bowls the bowls are the major pain in the ass here. How, it, does the same controversy exist at your house? And and is what are your thoughts on a dishwasher? I mean, it just come on. Uh, we do we do have we do have an issue. Like I said, one of the. My kids like to put everything in the sink as well. Um, my wife is a stickler for spraying things off before they go into the dishwasher. 
so much to the point. Sometimes if you don't know the the dishwasher is dirty, you might think it's clean because yeah, well, plates and all that are, are clean before they actually go in there. Uh, now I haven't got yelled at yet for the way in which I put things in the dishwasher, but uh, I, can, I can see that coming at some point. Well, again, it's the bowls, right? I, yeah. I think the plates, right? You got your big plates. Okay. And you start stacking those up and you got really very nice slots for those, by the way. Right. And then maybe you follow those by the, you know, the, the smaller plates it's, it's how you deal with these bowls. And, and that's, I think largely where, where, where the controversy lies. And then I get yelled at that. I'm not stacking. Well, why, why don't you like my, what you just fix it, but then I hear about it. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know, but I think you have a good point is by the time. Okay. So also I do agree. You know, wash these, but by the time you wash these dishes off, they're like 80% clean. Yeah, exactly. Like why don't you just wash them and then put them on the other side of the sink? I'm, I'm good thought. Good, good thought. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, of all the problems to have, I guess these are good problems to have, but I'm yeah, just taking, could be, take, could be worse. taking a beating, taking a beating on the, uh, on, on the dish, the dishwasher loading. Uh, and quite frankly, honey, I'm tired of it. I'm just, you know, you try to do a good thing. No good deed goes unpunished. And does it really matter how the bowls are stacked? I mean, it, it's, I know it takes up space, but there's no like bowl, like really good bowl slots. That's a problem. And it is 2023, not 2003, but whether it was 03 or 23, this has been a long-term uh, problem, I think. I think for many families, and no one, no one wants to talk about it, right? Yep, the dirty but little secret. Like, but I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm taking a beating over here on the loading of the, on the loading of the, of the, of the, of the dishwasher. So, well, I, I think it's a good segue from what we're talking about today with operant conditioning and punishment, right? Well, yeah, I'm, get, decrease, I'm getting punished. Behaviors. Yeah, I'm getting punished, but but here's the problem: I'm getting punished, but I'm trying to do the right thing. But it's just, it just seems to never be good enough. And I'm speaking loudly because she's right here. She can hear me. And that just never seems to be good enough. And then she has to go back and then re... It's what? Oh, come on. This is, this is, this is... We need to do like a director's cut of this, or like an after, after this podcast, just the conversation that the two of you are about to have off, off air. Well, the problem is, is I, I'm I'm right on this one, because I don't think when it comes to these bowls, there's any rhyme or reason. And so then another thing I do, which is great, like the small bowls, rather than putting them on the bottom where they don't fit anywhere because of the, the, the shape and the slots are, are terrible. I end up putting like I put them up on the top where the like, you know, glasses and coffee cups should go because then you just lay them down perfectly. And then I get yelled at for that. I do that actually, too. So nothing makes you feel better. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, God. Okay. So speaking of operant conditioning, so Steve, we published these two papers uh, back to back. And um, why don't you kind of walk our audience through the uh, the outline of these papers? And, and first of all, wh why don't you just define operant uh, conditioning? Most people confuse it with classical conditioning. Yeah. It's not even it's remotely close, uh, but go, go a little BF Skinner on us. Yeah. So... <laughs> So essentially what operant conditioning is where you, there's an association created between a specific behavior and then whether or not that behavior is punished or reinforced. And then that association essentially creates in the mind of the individual, you know, whether they should or shouldn't do that behavior. And I think you're talking to B.F. Skinner that goes back 
strangely enough, you didn't even know this. I actually, when I was in graduate school, I actually ran a rat lab. Uh, so did I. With, with, See, so yeah, did yeah, I. With the, with the Skinner box, right? So yeah. to go back, just to kind of give you an idea of what it was in that situation, is you had rats in a box. You had a little lever that they had to press. And when they pressed the lever, they received food. So it ended up happening, if thinking it from a, you know, operant conditioning standpoint, once they pressed the lever and received the food, that was the reinforcement. And they realized, okay, I need to press the lever in order to receive this food. And, and that's kind of the basic premises of it. But yeah, the biggest thing is, is creating an association between the behavior and the outcomes. Yeah. And there's a timing, a big timing impact. Yeah. On what we're talking about yeah. That. So and we didn't really go into that much in the paper because I think we were, we were yeah. focused more on just kind of like the initial essentially reinforcing uh, each each time. But yeah, there's there's what was referred to as, you know, fixed interval where you get a reinforcement after a certain amount of time, say five minutes. Then you have variable interval where that might be, you know, two minutes, seven minutes, nine minutes, you get your reinforcement. And then what you have is a fixed uh, ratio where after five times five presses of the lever they get reinforcement and then you get variable um, ratio where it could be two presses seven presses nine presses there's 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 no rhyme or reason and each one obviously has different effects as far as how the 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 person behaves because you know if, if there's a fixed amount of time they'll essentially wait till that fixed amount of time is almost over then you'll start seeing the behaviors but when it's the the variable they're not sure when it's going to be so you see kind of a fluctuation in in actually the responses yeah and so this uh there's a lot of science here a lot of i think proven science i mean no one argues with uh you know behaviorism um and 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 these reinforcement uh patterns talk and so let's let's start with 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 the witnesses and let's let's be clear our witnesses are not rats okay but you know the rat brain and the human brain are strikingly similar but no no one knows that and that's why they have rat labs all over the place um because those the brains are actually very uh, very similar let's talk about how how can uh attorneys and, and we do this when we consult on on witness training and witness preparation uh but sometimes attorneys are not able to use us for various reasons <laughs> different podcasts um but let's talk about uh the various ways that attorneys can use operant conditioning to um, influence their 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 witnesses' performance. You know, and I want to back up too, as far as when we're talking about it, to talk about kind of the concepts of reinforcement yeah. and punishment. So before we even really dive into how it can be used, you know, a positive there's positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement, and the, the goal of reinforcement either way is to increase the likelihood of the behavior, which yes. Obviously makes, you know, the re the positive reinforcement is, as I said earlier, you know, you do a behavior and then you get a reward. That's positive reinforcement. And then negative reinforcement, which always sounds weird and people mix it yeah. up with, with punishment, is really where, you know, you, you engage in a behavior to remove an aversive stimulus, a negative stimulus, and then that's supposed to increase the behavior. And I think one of the best examples to think about is when you set an alarm clock. Right. The alarm clock goes off, that alarm, the, the loud noise, the yep. beep, constant beeping, 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 beeping makes you get up in order to eliminate that beeping and that loud noise. 
yeah. you know, to get rid of that aversive stimulus. But then the goal is to increase the likelihood of you getting up uh, at, at a certain time. So that's really, you know, positive and negative reinforcement. And then you have on the other end, you have punishment where you either, you know, give a negative stimulus, you know, for example, a speeding ticket, right? When you, when you engage or you getting punished for not putting in your uh, dishes correctly, right? You get an yes. aversive stimulus. That's, that's your wife yelling at you. Um, and, and the goal of that obviously is to decrease the likelihood of you putting the bowls in wrong. And then you also have what, you know, the, the negative version as well, where you take away a positive stimulus. So after this, <clears throat> your, your punishment is going to be the fact that, you know, you're in the doghouse. Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to lose privileges for, for your discussion earlier about, about bulls. So okay. you can either get, get negative thing, or you can, you can remove, you can lose, you know, desired concept, or you can lose desired, um, you know, desired things. Yeah. And it's so, very powerful. I mean, these are yeah. very, very, very powerful principles. And really one of the core aspects of our witness training program, I mean, this stuff, this stuff works, but if you don't really know what you're doing, you can screw it up or you can have um, an imbalance. So uh, let's talk about witness preparation. What, sure. um, what are some of the things that attorneys can do to, again, they want to increase positive, you know, behaviors what what can attorneys do in witness preparation to get the witness because i mean because so many attorneys um particularly after i give a speech or after they listen to a podcast they'll they'll call me or they'll text me or they'll come up to me after after i get off stage and say you know i i, I told my witness all the things they need to do and then they got into deposition and it all went out the window <laughs> yeah it's like yeah because you didn't you didn't use operant conditioning, you know, uh, appropriately. So you want to get into a little bit of that? Yeah, sure. So from that perspective, you know, attorneys, when they're, when they're going through and, and preparing witnesses for, for deposition, you know, you can use the, the positive reinforcement of, and, you know, when witnesses are doing good things, when they're giving good answers to essentially encourage those and, and reward them either through praise or, through you know other other means in order to essentially reward them for giving a good response or reward them for giving a good behavior, you know by sitting a certain way or answering a certain way or using a certain tone and all that. So essentially, it's praising them for doing that, which then obviously makes them feel better, which makes them increase the likelihood of of doing that good behavior. Now, now this does not happen, and this is where I see the major problem here. Is that the attorneys are not, they're not so so praise is the primary you know, tool here that's the positive reinforcer is to tell the witness hey you're doing a great job okay but the problem is a it's it's not it's not given enough in witness prep and b when it is it's not specific enough I mean you can't just tell the witness hey you know you're doing a great job all right let's Go with the next set of questions. No, that, that 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 doesn't work. You have to be highly specific to because it's kind of a dose response relationship here. So you have to say, okay, which is just not done enough in witness prep. And I do this all the time: is to take a time out in the middle of mock questioning and say, "Hey, you just did something really well. Let's talk about that." Okay, here was the question. You spotted the trap in the question. Here was your response. 
That's excellent. And here's why. It gives them very, very specific praise versus, hey, great, you know, hey, hey, you know, hey, hey, great job. And that could be, again, um, you can praise, you know, how, uh, how good they're listening, right? How they picked up on a trap or a tricky word in a question. You can uh, reinforce with praise uh, the fact that they took the time to think and didn't rush their answer. You can uh, specifically uh, praise the actual response they gave. There's all kinds of things that you can do. Like you said, you can uh, also, which I think is another thing, is praise how well they're doing uh, non-verbally as far as their posture, their body language, uh, their tone, their level of professionalism. I think a lot of that is missed from, with the attorney feedback. I think sometimes what I see is the attorney hears good answers or sees good things and then simply says, hey, great work. And then they advance where I think they could take a little bit more time um, to specifically praise the actual specifics of what's going on. And that would that would optimally reinforce those behaviors and increase them, correct? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that because, um, you know, one of the things, another, not to get overly sciencey about talking about operant conditioning, but one of the ideas is that essentially you're trying to create, uh, you know, increase behaviors on a, essentially a novel, a novel behavior, you know, yeah. and in this situation, I think a lot of times attorneys forget that witnesses are testifying for, for probably the first time. And this is a whole new experience to them. So, you know, you, to attorneys and to us, we think it's, it's just normal. Therefore we think you should be able to do X, Y, and Z. But the truth of the matter is these witnesses don't know that that's what they need to do. So you need yeah. to reinforce, you know, each time and, you know, each time that they give something, you should give praise for X, then Y, then Z, not like you, to your point is after it's over, they need to know what is it specifically that they're doing well to encourage them. So they identify, okay, this was good. This posture was good. This response was good. This listening was good. So then they can understand, okay, you know, these are the different things I'm doing well versus a collective to your point, holistic, yeah. hey, you're just doing great. And it's like, okay, what did I do well? Everything or some things or it's, so I think that's a good point. Another important part here is um, as part of that praise, which I think is key, is telling the witness why that particular response behavior is the right thing, right? And so, for example, we, I get a ton of witnesses that, you know, you know, you and I train witnesses to give, uh, uh, concise, on-target, precise answers, right? Not to volunteer information, not to get in the teaching mode, not to get, you know, you know, get their yapper going, right? And start talking, talking, talking. And to say, hey, your clean, precise, on-target answer, that was a great answer. And here is why that's a great answer. Right. And educate them on not just, hey, this is this is really, really good. Keep up that behavior. Right. But here's why that's good, because I know that you've been through this before is a lot of witnesses get the praise. But they feel like their answer wasn't long enough because in society and at work and at home, they're they're accustomed to these longer answers. And so they hear the praise, but they don't understand why. Yeah. It's right because they're they're confused. Like, don't I need to say more? Doesn't it look better for the case if I if I say more? Right. So I think we're both in agreement that if you're going to give the praise, 
be as specific as possible, but then also provide the rationale for why what they're doing is a positive and, and maybe even educate them, you know, because you know, if you would have given the long answer that you're accustomed to, you know, that would have been followed by probably five or six or 10 follow-up questions that otherwise would have never came. It's going to lengthen the deposition. It's going to weigh you down. And so that also educate them on why the behavior is positive and not just simply reinforcing the behavior and moving on. Right. I agree. You know, I think the other thing we talk about too, that's the positive side of it. Now the negative reinforcement is obviously, you know, creating a kind of a safe environment that's you know free of distractions and kind of free of judgment in some place where the the witness feels like they can make mistakes and and essentially not be be hammered right so getting a supportive environment so that you understand and and go through and talk with them make that sure that they're comfortable make sure that you understand that this is one of their first times and that they're probably going to be stressed and anxious and yeah. that your job really there is to help alleviate those concerns, just kind of going through those things, like you said, kind of removing that negative feeling, removing that anxiety or the apprehension of the actual training process. Yeah, no, that, that is absolutely correct. So I think from the attorneys listening, we need um, more praise for the witness for the positive things that they're doing. It's got to be specific. It's also going to be thorough on the rationale for why that's because a lot of a lot of good witness testimony is counterintuitive, right? Because most witnesses come in like, hey, the more I say, the faster this is going to be over. Or the more I say, it's going to defend the case better. Or the more I say, it's going to have all these positive and it's really not. So they need to be educated um, to why that's important as well. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's also too, you know, we, we talk about punishment. And I think that is important to talk about as far as when we go through and we do mock questions. You know, there has to be some 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 punishment, essentially, when when they're giving a bad response. But I think we talk about in the paper and, and you bring up a good point when you and I were talking about this paper about the level and intensity of the punishment. I mean, because if you go too hard, if you go too over the top, essentially, your witnesses are going to withdraw. Your witnesses are going to start feeling stupid, start feeling bad about themselves. So when you punish, essentially, and that's more or less identifying, OK, that wasn't the best yeah. way to answer it. Let's talk about it. It needs to be a little bit more soft-handed in the punishment versus over-the-top yelling and, and getting upset with them. Yeah, so the other thing I see um, with attorneys is that there's an imbalance between praise and punishment, right? And so that's that the long-term effects of that. Uh, you can, you know, beating your witness down is not going to be a good thing. It could kill their confidence, right? Um, and so I, what I see attorneys doing is, they see the positive things and either it's minimal positive reinforcement and praise, right? Or, or there's none, they just let it go. And then the only feedback the witness gets is when they screw something up. Right. And so that, I think that can be a really, uh, a real confidence killer. I don't see the balance there that needs to be. So I know when I'm training a witness, I often take a timeout and say, Hey, stop. Let's talk about that. La those last couple of answers and why they were so damn good. Right. And talk, not just the negative, but then, yeah. So um, when bad things happen uh, in your prep, um, it, it is important to punish and you do that through constructive criticism. Right. Um, and, and not to beat the witness down, but there's a way to give that's called constructive criticism for a reason. 
but it has to be criticism. You, you can't sugarcoat this stuff. Uh, and you have to address the weaknesses, whether they're answering questions too quickly, uh, they're getting off track with their answers, if they're becoming too argumentative and defensive, <laughs> if they start pivoting, right? You got to put the kibosh on that immediately. But I think the point here to the punishment is it's got to be constructive. Okay. But also, and I want you to talk about this, the timing of it. Okay. This is why, so when attorney, I get to it like uh, a witness training that I've never you know, worked with the attorney before. Many of times they say, okay, uh, when they get to, when we get to the mock questioning part, they say, all right, let's go for about an hour. We'll take a break and then we'll give the witness feedback. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> that's, that's not what we're doing. Because if a witness makes mistake and a mistake at minute 12, me telling them about that mistake and providing the punishment or positive reinforcement at, at the hour break, it's not going to have quite the same impact as a Steve. No. And I think that that's another key point too, that people need to understand about it is that in order to create that association, as I was talking about before, yeah. between the behavior and the outcome. Like you said, you need to immediately do it because if that if there's a huge gap, then they don't create the association between what that behavior was and what that actual outcome was. So I think that's a great point that you bring up is that it's got to be it's got to be immediate. There can't be a huge gap or that, that, that association gets really weak. Yeah. So so many attorneys um, erroneously feel that, well, I don't want to keep interrupting the process. So we're going to talk about kind of shaping here and how this all works together. We're kind of isolating these variables. So when you talk about shaping next, but a lot of the attorneys are like, well, I don't want to keep stopping because I, 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 I want a smooth process with the prep. And if I keep stopping, it's very disruptive. My counter argument to that is, but if you're not providing the the reinforcement in a timely manner, you're, it's not going to be um, effective. And so what I see happening is early on in the process, um, so our system, the way we do it, is I address mistakes immediately. Immedi I don't care if we're on question three, stop, timeout. The witness is like, what? And I'm like, you're not even thinking, like you're going way too fast. Like you're not even there's a quarter of a second between the end of the question and your answer. That tells me you're not thinking. We just talked about the importance of two, three, four, maybe even five seconds before you open your mouth to maximize your cognition, which is going to maximize your accuracy and decrease your error rate. Remember, we just talked about this a couple hours ago. Now, let's jump back in and then, you know, and then proceed. Now, as time goes by, what you're going to see is improvement typically right? Yep. An increase of those behaviors because you, you, you provided the, again, the punishment or the positive reinforcement immediately after the mistake or something good that happened, <clears throat> which is really, really important. Now, the other thing I try to do is uh, as we're going through the mock questioning, I think it's, I think self-correction is something very important for witnesses because they're on an Island, you know, when, when they're being deposed or they're on the stand and if they find themselves, so say we're two hours into the mock questioning, I may see a mistake or hear a mistake. I may let it go for 30 seconds or a minute. And I'm telling myself, okay, they've been through some punishment. They've been through some positive reinforcement. Let's see if they can self-correct and get back on track, right? And oftentimes what you see is a witness will speed up or a witness gives an answer that's too long. 
and they kind of like they detect it right yeah and they start yeah they love it and then they can get themselves back and then i stop and say aha (laughs) right okay let's talk about the last two minutes you you know you gave an answer (laughs) that was Mm -hmm. too long but then your next three answers you reeled your like you figured it out and so there's more of a you you can you can provide that type of feedback and reinforcement, not just on the question level, but on more of a series of questions level once you advance uh, later on into the prep. Yeah, I think you, you had a, a ton of ton of good stuff in in that that I wanted to talk about. You mentioned about shaping. I think that's another important thing, right? When you talk that's about the overall goal. I mean, that's the overall goal, right? Yeah, and you talk about how you do it in succession versus you know how you jump in each time. But then eventually you don't need to because the idea of shaping is you reinforce each time as they get closer and closer and closer to the specific behavior. So you don't just wait until they till they give the good answer way down. You got to get them there to, OK, this was good here. This was good here. This was good here. And that you're doing it in succession and that the end goal really is to give good, effective, concise testimony but you can't just assume that they're going to do that right away. It has to be baby steps, you know, along, along the way. It's the way yeah. I look at it when I, when I coach baseball and stuff too, right? When you're taking yeah. ground balls, the first step, getting your feet in position correctly, then making sure your gloves in the right spot, then making sure your body's in the right spot. Then we start taking ground balls. It's not just, Hey, let me just hit ground balls to you and expect you to be in the perfect position. You have to do it stepwise in order to, to get to where you, the final goal, of, of being able to, in that situation in baseball, feel the ground ball in this situation, give good testimony. Yeah, because in the end, in the end, the you want skill development with these with these witnesses because again, when they're being deposed or they're on the stand to trial, they're on their own, right? The the coach can't call time out and give them give them positive reinforcement or criticism. So I I, I think the the ultimate goal is the shaping of behavior combined with the witness's ability to self-monitor their 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 progress and to get back on track themselves. So I, I know when you were coaching baseball, talk about this because I think this is a really really good analogy. <laughs> so you can all like so if, when you were coaching and say your son's pitching and you see him start to lose a little bit of control or he gets frustrated. I mean, you can only go out to the mound so many times. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's got to be a point where. You know, you've trained him. So when he, you know, when he walks a batter or he walks two batters or, or he, 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 uh, the batter's hit by a pitch, right. You can maybe yell out a couple of things as, as the coach, but at some point your son, right. Or any pitcher on the team, they're going to have to reel it in by themselves. And that's, that's not easy that, and that's where the training during the, I'm sure during your practice sessions is so important. So when they find themselves in that situation and you're the coach on the bench, right? Um, You can't hold their hand in the middle of the third inning per se, right? Um, That those self-correction skills for them, for them to recognize the problems on their own and fix them in the moment is really the key here, right? In, in, In any performance, whether it's being deposed or, or being, uh, um, the pitcher in a baseball game or the basketball player that, you know, misses three shots in a row. I mean, they're going to have to figure it out on, on, on their own. 
And I think though, in that situation, yeah, I mean, you get them to a point where you, you get them to understand and to where they'll fix the problems on their own, you know, and like you said, you can only do a few things, but at a certain point, you have to have faith and trust in your training that you gave them. So to use the baseball analogy, right, I have to put faith and trust in the fact that I've given my son the tools that he can use, that if he's starting to struggle, that yeah. I can say a few things and then I go, you know what, I know he's going to get out of this, right? I know yeah. he's going to do it and yeah. I, there's nothing I can do. I have faith in him. And I think the point being with witnesses is attorneys need to understand too, is if, if their witnesses are faltering a little bit, you know, and on, 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 on a break, you just kind of remind them, hey, remember these couple of things that, that we talked about? And then you put faith in them to go back in there to, to do a good job. But I think what happens too often sometimes is, you know, attorneys or even coaches will get pissed off and be like, dude, what is the problem here? Like, you, you know, you know what I mean? And then, and then rather than say, Hey, I have confidence in you to do, do the right thing. You know, you, you get, you get up and get all upset. And from a witness perspective, like I said, if you can go out and support them on the break, then when you come back in, you got to have faith in them. And I think the witness is going to feel that the attorney's got their back and that, you know, you have to talk to them a little bit, but then you put faith in them to come back in and do the right thing because you've given them the skill set prior to in order to perform the behaviors. Okay, so let, let's go off script. So the okay, so the coach going out to the mound to talk to the pitcher, right? So the the analogy here is in the in the actual deposition, you're going to get several breaks. Right. We, we remember we say 45 minutes. Let's assume 45 minutes and you walk down the hallway with your witness, right? Defense counsel and you have them in a room. Okay, so now's your chance, right, in the deposition to, or this would be maybe in between innings, right, uh, uh, the pitcher, where you can talk to the pitcher, meaning you can talk to your witness. Um, and I'm going a little bit off script, but I think this is important. What, how, how can defense counsel, and by the way, and hello, plaintiff attorneys. Hello, plaintiff. I know you're out there. Uh, we love our plaintiff attorney audience because uh, this because this this can work for the plaintiff attorney, too, because right. their witnesses get deposed. What's the best way to handle breaks? Because, again, I've seen. So I saw this video. I think I sent it to you. The video of uh, when Tommy Lasorda, like in 1977, was yeah. mic'd up yeah. and went out to the mound in Dodger Stadium. They had to bleep half of the language out on TikTok because she goes out there and the first thing he says is, what the bleep are you doing? Get your bleeping head out of your bleeping ass and quit being a bleeping. It was like, he's like, Tommy Lasorda did not hold back, right? And you go out there and just tear the picture a new one. Well, I've seen that with witnesses during breaks where attorneys can do that, right? What, how, what advice would you give attorneys? Like, so during the breaks, right? I'm not saying talk about the case because in some venues talking to the witness, maybe that's discoverable. Right. And you have yeah. to, so but another, it's just, I think it depends on what type of case you have, uh, what, what the venue is, but just from a reinforcement standpoint, what, what can defense attorneys do during the breaks to reinforce, right. Or, or punish certain behaviors that they just saw in the last 45 minutes and, and, and where can they slip up here as well? Yeah, I think well, you know, I, I learned a long time ago uh, about the criticism sandwich, essentially, yeah. where you know you have you have positive things. Here's the good things that you're doing, and then in the middle of it, you have the criticism where it's just like, hey, but let's focus on this or to clean up this a little bit more, yeah. and then you end on positive again, right? So say, you know what though, but you're doing great. Let's go back in and do it. So I think 
going in, especially depending on who the witnesses are too, the, the, the personality of your witnesses and that doing, going and ripping them a new one is, is not going to help at all. All, you know, and getting frustrated with them and upset with them could, could actually lead to them giving bad testimony and continuing with the bad testimony because now they, they, they start steamrolling and they get inside their own head and they're getting upset and they're worried. Not only is opposing counsel getting frustrated with me, now my own attorney is getting frustrated with me. So I would, I would make amygdala hijack, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean then, you amygdala hijack your own witness by doing yeah, that. Yeah, the, the fighter. So, fire, so, so you, defense counsel and plaintiff counsel, during the breaks, you thinking you're doing the right thing can literally torpedo your own witness by giving them the wrong feedback in the wrong order. <laughs> and then they go back in for the next 45 minutes and they tank, right? right. So I do like the the criticism sandwich is you know, start positive, then go to the negative, then back to positive, right? Yeah. And keep you know, keep that keep that balancing act. And remember, we want to prevent fight or flight, uh, i.e., you know, amygdala hijack. And and then the other thing, uh, Steve, uh, which I think is important, again, because you can't sure you, I, I don't think just going exclusively praised, right? I think you got to find something to work on during the break. I, I don't think you go, hey, you're doing great. But again, back to specificity. Why are they doing great? Tell them why. Hey, you're really taking your time between questions. Perfect. Keep that up, right? Hey, your explanations have been tight and precise. Keep keep that up. That's exactly what we need, right? Um, but then just don't leave. Say, hey, you know what? You know, you know Keep in mind, right? You're on videotape, right? Yeah, your facial expression a couple times, you know, uh, you were looking down during answers or you kind of look like you're confused on your, you know, work on that. Watch your posture, you know, a couple times you put your hand on your, yeah, maybe you're not even aware of it, right? And then then with something, with, with something good, but I do think that that balancing act is really important. Yeah, and I think there's always, I mean, you and I always talk about, we've never seen perfect depositions. We don't expect perfect depositions yeah. out of our witnesses. So I think there's always things you could find you know, even small little things you can find to, to talk to them about it as far as yeah. to make mention. Yeah, absolutely. I tell you, let's let's say for our next podcast, the operant condition that happens from the plaintiff attorney or the questioning attorney, right? Because yeah. I think that's the separate uh, podcast because uh, I've, I've got 20 minutes. I got I got to Zoom witness prep. And so I, I got to get ready for that. Let's uh, so let's end there on operant. So so defense attorneys, plaintiff attorneys, whoever you are, um, read, read, our, read our articles on the operant conditioning, Law 360, and use that in your prep, and you're going to get so much more out of your prep and be able to really shape your witnesses' behavior. Okay, Steve, let's finish with this. Um, 2023 college uh, football kickoff. Um, I've done my research all morning. I'm going to go the odds right now, read them for our, our audience, right? Okay, so this is this is this is pretty much the top the top twelve. We lay off with Georgia at plus two twenty, Alabama plus six hundred. Then it gets interesting. Ohio State followed by Michigan. Steve, try not to throw up. I know, I know. Michigan State guy. Followed by LSU, USC. Somehow, for some reason, I have no earthly idea. Florida State uh, comes next. I'm that's I'm not so sure they belong there. Followed by Clemson behind Florida State, which is completely baffling. You got Texas, Penn State, Notre Dame, and Tennessee. Now, let's just 
I mean, again, and you can pick any, any anybody, but those are the, 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 the current odds. So it starts at Georgia plus 220 and you get down the Notre Dame and Tennessee are plus three. So that's good. So if you bet 100, this is what it means. So I'm So if right now you were in Las Vegas and you bet Notre Dame, okay, at plus 3,000, okay, that means if you bet $100 now and Notre Dame goes through the season, Notre Dame wins the national, your payout's $3,000, which means if you bet Georgia at $100, your payout's $220, right? And so you got everybody in between. Um where are you going? Where are you going? I'm going to give my seeds too. I'm going to give my seeds. Here. I'm going to get very complicated here, but I want your one through four seeds right now before the season. Where do you think this is going? Because remember, last year no one expected TCU. Right. I wonder what the I wonder what the odds were on TCU preseason. Jeez, somebody somebody cashed out just for, to make them get sure you could just bet to get to the game. And obviously, they got slaughtered in the championship. But if they yeah, were. I was going to say, uh, would have been a, would have been a huge colleagues weren't happy with the performance that TCU. Yeah. Poor Lori. Sorry, Lori Kinder. Um, she's still, but but they they had a fantastic season. Um, who is your number one seed for the college football playoff? And this is our preseason picks. Yeah. And I, and I hate, I hate to sound like the bandwagon because I'm going to give kind of non-sexy picks except for one of them, I think is a little bit, but I mean, I think you got to go Georgia, uh, number one. Well, I mean, it's hard to argue with. I'm, I'm going to, I don't have Georgia number one. I'm going to share with you why. But um, let me say something about Georgia. They've got a cupcake schedule. Their yeah. schedule is cupcake. I mean, like, you just look at their schedule, they're like nine and oh automatically. Um, it's a very, very favorable schedule, huge momentum, right? But a lot of, a lot of off season and off field problems for the georgia bulldogs so i'll get into that when i get into my picks all right so you got you got georgia number one who's who's your number two seed i got alabama um you know and i could see honestly i could see alabama potentially winning because you know as much as i don't like nick saban for the way he left michigan state um you got to give it to him and i don't think he is going to allow his team to have quite the same season as they did last year um, mm-hmm. So I can see a very angry, very chip on their shoulder Alabama team. Yeah. Um, an angry Nick Saban is a very bad thing for the rest of college football. Exactly. I concur. Who is your three seed? My three seed, um, Ohio State. I know we had talked. Oh, come three. on. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, this is terrible. Yeah, I mean, they, they have, Wait, okay, I mean, I'm dying to hear the rationale for uh, for this. Well, I mean, Ohio, I mean, Ohio State's loaded. Um, although they did lose their their quarterback but they still got you know uh one of the best wide receivers if not the best wide receiver in the country um in marvin harrison jr so i think that they're going to be and that and to go back to your point i mean as far as the cake schedule i mean the big the big 10 is not loaded this year you got you got michigan and i've been hearing a lot of good things about penn state um in that but I don't, Listen, I don't think you you've uh, got big 10 you got big 10 bias going on i tell you penn no, state does not have a quarterback I... <laughs> penn state my whole family went to penn state uh doug 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 marcella went to penn state he's been on the podcast a couple times trucking attorney uh in philadelphia and i just the penn state people every year you would think hey this is it this is the year and then they go eight and four so i i don't they always lose games they shouldn't 
and their quarterback always stinks. So, you know, I, and I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm not sold, you know, I'm not sold on them. So well, who knows? Okay. See. Number, what's your number four seed? Number four, I'm going to stay actually in the SEC and go LSU. Because I, I have a feeling, you know, LSU has got to play Alabama, right? They're probably going to lose. Did you that. take too much? Like, did you like take too much medication this morning or something? <laughs> what, what are you? What is wrong with you? Now you got my, now Mark Perkins going to be jumping on my email. He's going to be all over LinkedIn. Yeah, exactly. Down in down in Shreveport, you could think because uh, LSU, Brian Kelly, you're going. That's with That's right. I'm going. I'm going with them. Hey, I got to. I had to go off script a little bit, so I'm going to go LSU. You got basically. One loss to Alabama, then you'll have one loss, Michigan to Ohio State. Hopefully, um, and the fact is that Ohio- Michigan will lose badly to Ohio State, and LSU will lose in a close game to Alabama. So you'll have two one-loss teams, and then LSU will sneak in over Michigan. Although I will say, um, I apologize to all the Michigan fans out there, but I don't really. Yeah, is, uh, like, I love nothing. Don't lie to them. The, 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 the tears of Michigan fans uh, are great to me. So as much as I would love for them to get into the playoffs and, and then lose like they did, um, I, I, uh, I'm going to say they're not going to make it. Wow. That's very, very interesting. Now, uh, by the way, uh, LSU, Florida State, it's, uh, uh, September 3rd, 8 o'clock Eastern time, right here in Orlando opening game. So that's a, that's a huge game. Uh, yeah. That will, that will, that will be huge. Um, but LSU's got great athletes, um, and and they have a incredible home field advantage in Baton Rouge. So um, we will see. We we will see. I, that, that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, top uh, top four. Okay, here's where I'm going. Number one seed, Alabama. Again, the the pissed off Saban effect here. Uh, it's going to be bad. It's this. It's going to be death and destruction. From game one, I can you imagine being because training camp started this week. Yeah, started, I can't yeah. imagine. Can you imagine no, that? I, oh, I gosh. feel bad for those those players. Oh, it's gonna it's just brutal, absolutely brutal. And um, I think I I just think they're running the table. I just think they're because he was so upset. Did you remember Saban was like on the 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 pregame for the national championship stuff? And oh, I just yeah. I could see smoke. I could see smoke coming out of his ears. <laughs> yeah, Not a happy camper, no. and I just don't see back to back seasons like that um i I think i think they're i think they're number one my number two seat and this is this is where i'm gonna get a little sneaky i'm gonna go with the clemson tigers a couple bad seasons in a row they're complete no one's talking about them they're off the radar right no one wants to talk about acc i think clemson sneaks in there with a favorable schedule okay they got a high preseason ranking and um, I think I think the committee's biased towards 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 Clemson like they are some of these other teams. Uh, I think Clemson sneaks in there at number two. What are your thoughts on that? That's 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 interesting. But you know, you know the ACC um, better than I do, so I know you you track the ACC more. So I'll, yeah, it's interesting. So we'll see how it plays out. Okay, number three, Georgia. Um, I think. Georgia has a late season stumble. I really, really do. I think that their off season problems will catch up with them. I think there's been a lot of distractions. I do think they're going to roll early. I think they're going to have a stumble, but it's not going to be a bad enough stumble to keep them out of the playoff. And so um, I have, I do have Georgia in there, but I have them. I have them at number three because 
every single have you read the articles off season on georgia have you found a positive one no 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 i haven't i haven't re- uh read up you know a bunch of it but you know i see it all the time i keep, keep yeah. consistently seeing problems yep and then number four this is my crazy one because here's the thing i'm going to call it the tcu effect they let tcu in last year and boy was bama pissed right but yeah. I think there was I think there was social pressure on the committee of you can't have the same four teams every year. You got to reward this other team and maybe yeah, right. And so they let TCU in, and hey, they beat Ohio State. I mean, so I mean, I think that was very exciting. I think it did bring excitement to see you know a new guy in the uh, in the in, in the four. And I also think that there's going to be some pressure because they they, they didn't let the Pac-10 this year. Um, I think a Pac-10 school finally sneaks in here, and I'm going to go with USC. I had a feeling when you were going to say that. Well, They're going to go USC because I think there's going to be some pressure. And here's the problem, as you know, and why this thing is going. Is it going to eight teams or 12 in, in a couple of years? Uh, it's going it's, to it's definitely expa- yeah, it's expanding. Because here's the thing. Uh, you're going to have all these one-loss teams. Yeah. Right. And you can't just defer to the SEC every time. Now, um, so I, I think as, I think USC – uh, gets in now notice in my top four what's missing no big 10 teams and here's the reason why i think the big 10 there's going to be it's going to be a meat grinder and you're going to have two lost teams not on the outside looking in and i think i think ohio state loses twice i think michigan loses twice i think penn state loses twice and they all just beat each other up and they go in front of the committee and you're going to have a one loss, if not an undefeated USC team, you're going to have a one loss, probably undefeated Clemson. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to take Michigan, a two loss Michigan team over a one loss Clemson. Not happening, Steve. Right. Fair enough. I can get, I can agree with that. Okay. Now, why will who's not on my list uh, would be the North Carolina Tar Heels or the Michigan State Spartans. Yeah, uh, this is not our bad. These are not our. This is not our basketball picks. These are yeah. our football picks. Um, it's going to be but, a brutal uh, year for for Michigan State football. I hope it's going to be better than it was last year, but we shall see. We shall see. Okay, those are the picks, and I'm sure there'll be some comments on that, and we'll we'll update our picks throughout throughout the season, but. Uh, yeah, good podcast member, operant conditioning, guys. We'll we'll come back and we'll do part two of operant conditioning because there's a lot of operant conditioning going on during the deposition by the questioner, whether it be plaintiff attorney or a defense attorney, right? Depends on who's asking the questions. But we will go over that next time. But we do have a paper on that on 360. Steve, always a pleasure. Uh, take us away. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. You can, as, as always, go to courtroomsciences.com, find all of our our papers and the podcasts and blogs and all that type of stuff. You know, appreciate everybody listening. This has been another edition of the litigation psychology podcast brought to you by courtroom sciences. Yeah.